Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And this is another episode of Criminally Disturbed. So we just finished recording your Ingrid story, Mm -hmm. and that was a really good one. This one, um, I have a feeling that you've heard this story before. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, there's some people in the story that go on and live great lives and, you know, do some good things and stuff. And we'll get into that. But this story has has a lot of history to it. It has a lot of controversy to it Ooh. and things. And uh, and it has a good ending, a bad ending, you know, whatever you, however your, your stance is on the end of this, I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear from our listeners. I want to hear your feelings about this because I have my feelings about it. You're probably going to, I think... I think I know you well enough to think to say that I think you're going to be on the same page as me, maybe. But this story is crazy, and it spawns into something that not a lot of people out there probably know about. Mm-hmm. It makes its way into a show, and I'll get into that. Okay. So, you got this, a lot to get into. This story is crazy. It's going to be long. I'm going to preface that. And I do have to say this, there is child abuse Mm. sexually. Ugh, okay. And I do get somewhat graphic in this story, so I just want to give that trigger warning because I've given trigger warnings in the past and then turned around and said, and before I get into those specifics, I'm going to give another trigger warning just Mm -hmm. to remind, and I don't ever remember to do that. Right. this is your trigger warning this whole story is fucked up from the get-go and um we're just we're gonna get right into this okay let's do it all right so one of the people in the story actually writes a book later on in life okay and the majority of the information comes from that book okay but there is some other sources that i used um you know for some very general information like Uh, either birth dates or death dates or incident dates and things like that. I I used Wikipedia, obviously, verifying the sources that they used. Right. And then there's some other news platforms that I use and things like that, Uh, one of which was newspapers.com. So, uh, But we'll get into the name of the book and and things like that later on in in the story. So I actually have two different sets of notes. One is on the computer that I uh, typed out. The other is uh, is some highlighted notes from said book. So we're going to get into the my notes on the computer first. Our story begins in February of 1984. Oh, so we're going back. Back to the 80s. As a father and son are taking a trip across the country, heading to California. What is their specific destination? Disneyland. Oh, yeah. okay. And I've been to Disney World. I've never been to Disneyland, but I've been to Disney World. And they, you know, they call it the happiest place on earth mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not, not that, no, it's not that happy. Okay. I guess if you're a kid, yes, but when you're a, a, an adult taking kids, it's, it's not that happy. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the two have a long journey in front of them because it's roughly 1,800 miles to Anaheim, California, which is where Disneyland is located, from 
Louisiana. Oh, what part? Do we we'll get into that? Okay. As quickly as the journey had begun, it had come to an end as the two had pulled into Anaheim, California. You've arrived at your destination. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Once they checked into their motel and got settled, the boy called his mom, who was unable to make the trip, just to check in and let her know that they had made it. Uh, but not long after their arrival to the home of Disneyland, their plan of visiting the happiest place on earth was abruptly interrupted. Police reported ahead. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. The older of the two, a 24-year-old, was taken into police custody. And the younger of the two, Jody, was taken into custody to be returned to his mother back in Louisiana. So what happened? What happened on this trip to, that made this thing end in police custody? And more importantly, who were these two people? Well, the younger of this seemingly happy duo was Jody Clochet. Jody was born on April the 27th of 1972. He, along with his parents and three siblings, lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, okay. Jody's mother, June, was born June Ann Sheridan in the Bronx, New York, in 1948. The family left the state of New York around 1950 and headed to Baton Rouge. Joseph and Francis, uh, which are June's parents, would have three more children, Robert, Michael, and Patty. June would later describe her father, Joseph, as very strict, very stern, but also very educated. June loved her father, but she also resented the fact that he only said the words, I love you one time when she was 17 years old her father joseph was sick he was very sick he knew at that time that he was dying mm -hmm. the very next day on february the 19th 1966 he died of amyloidosis this is a rare disease that occurs when a substance called an amyloid builds up in your organs an amyloid is an abnormal protein that is produced in your bone marrow and can be deposited in any tissue or organ in the body. In 1966, Joseph was one of the handful of people in America who had been known to have died of this rare disease. I was fixing to say, okay, you just said it was rare because I was fixing to say, I have never heard of this. Yeah. But I guess because it's rare. It's rare. Very rare. That's crazy. Now, Jody's father, Leon Gary Plochet, was born in Baton Rouge in 1945 at Our Lady of the Lake Regional Medical Center. Gary's father was Charles Plochet, and his mother was Annabelle Jeffries Plochet. Charles worked for Standard Oil, and Belle, Annabelle, she had her hands full with taking care of Gary and his older brother, Jeffrey Lynn, by the way, his brother's name. Gary was not described as a problem child, but he always seemed to stay in trouble. <laughs> I mean, isn't that every kid in Louisiana? <laughs> I mean, that's what they do. Yeah, that's right. One of his teachers in elementary school told Gary she would give him an A if he would just behave himself. Wow. <laughs> he got a C. 
Oh, <laughs> so I take it he did not behave himself. He did not. He was like, fuck that, A. Gary's greatest asset, putting everything else aside, seemed to get him out of trouble the most, and that was his personality. He knew everybody, and everybody loved him. Despite his antics, Gary was soft-hearted and kind, generous and very helpful. Uh, there wasn't a stray animal he didn't pick up and feed. <laughs> And he could go anywhere without running into somebody that he knew. So this, look, Gary seems like a very down-to-earth, very cool, very typical, you know, southern Louisiana boy, you know, got into some trouble, but at the same time, cared about animals, cared about wildlife and things like this, and then everybody knew him. He was easy to get along with, it sounds like. Right. After June's family moved away to New Mexico for a brief period, June moved back to Baton Rouge, and she got a job singing at a local nightclub. Oh, okay. This is where June and Gary would meet. Okay. June was pretty much captured by Gary's personality and sense of humor. Gary, in a sense, swept June off of her feet. They began a very short courtship lasting only for a month. Oh, okay. (laughs) On December the 25th of 1969, the two were married on Christmas. Oh. Christmas 1969. Their first year of marriage was said to be like a dream to both of them. In October of 1970, June gave birth to Gary Jr., or Bubba, as he's called by his siblings. Okay. Around this time, they lived in Biloxi, Mississippi, where Gary served as a medic in the U.S. Air Force. Okay. But shortly after Bubba was born, June realized something she hadn't noticed before. Gary was drinking more and more. Oh, okay. He began to stay out later and later with his friends, while June was left home to take care of an infant by herself. Eventually, this man who had once made her laugh and be happy was never around. Mm. When he was around, he was drunk. And this took a toll on June and her happiness. Inevitably, June was unable to take much more of Gary's drinking. So June began to consider ways to leave him. There was one thing concerning June that she had to check out. And when she walked out of the doctor's office, it had been confirmed she was pregnant again. Oh, okay. With Jody. That was when she realized that there was no way she could leave. She could barely even support one baby, much less another one, which was on the way. Around May of 1971, Gary and June would move back to uh, Baton Rouge. That fall, they had plans to go see LSU versus Notre Dame in a football game in Tiger Stadium. Now, Tiger Stadium, known as Death Valley. Right. Uh, You know, those games were played on Saturdays. Most of the time in Death Valley, they're played um, in the afternoon or early evening of Mm -hmm. Saturdays. Suddenly and very unexpectedly, June experienced complications with her pregnancy, and under doctor's orders, she stayed home and missed the game she had so looked forward to. And I know. I mean, you got a chance to go see LSU and Notre Dame play football at Death Valley, you gotta go you gotta go see that. Mm -hmm. That's that's gonna be a game and it's gonna be loud. 
on April 27, 1972, at 2.41 p.m., Joseph Boyce Ploche, also known as Jody, was born. Mm-hmm. This didn't change much in June and Gary's relationship. Gary got a job working for Baton Rouge Wholesale Liquor, which was probably the worst place that he could have ever gotten a job at. Since he has a drinking problem. Almost every day he would come home from work drunk. Mm. This left June to take care of two kids and one grown man. Mm. Gary would spend his workday drinking, eating out, and basically just kind of bullshitting around with friends. Mm-hmm. Which wasn't that bad because he met and became friends with more people than anybody can really imagine. A lot of people knew him. Each person he met, he charms with uh, he charmed with his wit and compelled them with his personality. Everyone loved Gary. Women and men alike felt June was lucky to be married to such a great guy. But she had pretty much a different opinion. Right. June came to resent Gary's popularity and stature in the community. June and Gary did not spend any quality time together. The time that they did spend together, he was drunk. Mm. Other times, he would entertain their friends while June served as hostess, waitress, prep cook, Mm. and cleanup crew. So Gary got to have all the fun while June was running a household. Pretty much, yeah. And raising kids. That's true. Now look, this is the 70s, the 80s, and things. I'm saying all this to say, yes, Gary was an alcoholic. Okay, we'll just say that. All right, and he, you know, spent a lot of time away from the house, and and June uh, spent a lot of time pretty much raising yeah the kids and stuff, and taking care of the house and and stuff like this. And unfortunately, in the seventies and in the early eighties, that's pretty much how it was. Yeah, because it was still seen as well. That's the woman's job, right? Yeah, and, and now it's coming out of that. Yeah, it's coming out of that era and stuff, but. But still. This is pretty much how it's like. Now, I will tell you this. Gary is not a bad guy. No, I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying, I mean, he's out there getting to have all the fun and live his life. Yeah. And But this is how it was back then. I you know, know that. I, I know, but I'm just saying I'm seeing it from her point of view sure. where she started resenting him. Right. And stuff. Because, I mean, doing all that, that's tiring. Yeah. Very tiring. Now, I'm not saying that I I agree, and I think that yeah, I mean that's that's, that's man's that's what men do, and this is what women are supposed. I'm not saying that. Right. You're I, just saying that's how it was. That's at how that it time. was it, at it that was, time. But yeah. yeah. So. And I'm just saying I see why she started resenting him. I can see that. Yeah. After having two more children, the last of which was uh, a girl, the one that June had pretty much been wanting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and seeing that nothing was getting any better in her marriage, June had pretty much had enough. Finally, in the summer of 1983, 11 years after she had first decided to leave, June asked Gary to leave. Mm-hmm. Now a single mother, June would do the best that she could in raising her children. She would consistently teach her children the importance of telling the truth. She would say, quote, you might get into trouble if you tell the truth, but not as much trouble as you would if you would 
uh, were to tell a lie. Right. And I will always catch you if you lie, which, I mean, we tell our kids that. Mm -hmm. We're always going to know, you know. She told them that their father knew everybody and somebody would see them if they did something wrong and they would tell her Mm -hmm. and that would be it. So do not ever tell her a lie. Now, you know, she's using the fact that their father is well known Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people out there that know him. You don't really know everybody out there that knows your father, but they know you. Right. They're going to be watching. So they're going to snitch. June also told them that uh, if they did something such as smoke, she would make them eat a whole pack of cigarettes. My mama told me that. I know. Mine did, too. (laughs) She also said if they smoked, they wouldn't be able to play sports, something she knew that Jody loved to do. So, like I said before, most of the information that's coming out of this story that I'm telling, it, it comes out of a book, mm-hmm. okay? The book is actually written by Jody, mm-hmm. and the title of his book is Why, Gary, Why? Okay. So I wanted to pause right here and mention that because Jody's book is a very good book to read. Now, it is it is told from the perspective of Jody and he goes into great detail of you know kind of the incident that happens uh his early life and then after the incident and and uh and everything that happened afterwards and then he does become an advocate and and stuff later on in life and things and so um I have to give the props to Jody here because he he takes this incident and he turns it into something very positive and he does good things with it so june used to make the kids watch tv shows she felt would benefit them Uh, she would then explain to them the morals and the dilemmas faced by the character seen on tv now you and i grew up you know i was born we were both born in the 70s we grew up throughout the 80s Mm -hmm. and then the into the 90s when we got uh, of age and things and but in the 80s and stuff, they had a lot of TV sitcoms, a lot of shows and things that were on TV that, you know, we would we would watch from time to time. Um, one of one of those, and, and actually this goes into the 90s and stuff, but one of those was um, The Cosby Show. Which I used to love. Say what you will about Bill Cosby, but uh, today. Yeah. But back then when he was doing that show, that was a good show. That was a really good show. And the the basically the the ideas behind the episodes or the messages behind the yeah. ep- the every episode and things they stuck. I mean, they were everyday things that people our age around that time would go through or see or something like that or we knew someone that was going through that. And so those messages would hit home right a lot and so it was a very good show uh and there were others out there facts of life and family ties and you know just there were a lot of shows that kept our interest because they were hitting on the the times messages and things right. like that so i can see her doing this i mean because it's like she's taking something that they like to do watch tv mm-hmm. and then she's taking something that they just watched and explaining why 
it kind of pertains to their life, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I can agree with this. All right. A lot of the time it was the after school special. I remember such those. As, yeah. Such as uh, my mom's having a baby. <laughs> um, after school special. The only one I can actually remember, okay, was one um, where a kid has a friend over and I think the mom's in bed asleep or something and the dad's at work and they, they run to uh, a closet and the kid that lives there is like, hey, you want to see something cool? And he pulls down his, his dad's gun, his mm. pistol, and it's a revolver, so you got to pull the hammer back, you know, to be able to fire. Well, he pulls the hammer back, but he doesn't know how to uncock the hammer mm-hmm. other than pulling the trigger. And he happened to be pointing it at his friend, and he shot his friend. Based on a true story, obviously, but it was it was the only after-school special that, I can remember Mm -hmm. that really kind of hit me, you know? So yeah, those were something too that you could probably teach off of. Well, anyway, my mom's having a baby. That one was about childbirth. Obviously another was about two friends. One friend having uh, had down syndrome June then explained down syndrome to Mm -hmm. the kids. Uh, Some were primetime real life stories, such as something for Joey the story about John Capaletti, the Heisman Trophy winner, and his brother who died of leukemia. Mm-hmm. She explained the whole situation to them because they were pretty much too young to understand all of that. The movie that turned out to be the most important was Fallen Angel. It aired in 1981. Uh, Jody was eight, maybe nine at the time. It was about child pornography. Mm. June sat Jody and Bubba down, and as the show progressed, she explained to them how people would use drugs or money or whatever else to do bad things to children. If anyone ever did anything like that to them, they were to tell her, and she would stop that from happening. June explained that if that ever did happen, the kids were never to blame themselves Mm -hmm. because grown-ups are stronger than children. Right. And should know better, pretty much. She also went on to explain child molesters, what they do and why they do it. June told them the story of a boy in their neighborhood, actually, who had been molested and killed. Oh. And because of this, they always had to let her know where they were. Right. Which, I mean, growing up and stuff, I mean, you know, we grew up in that age that we left our house in the morning and sometimes we wouldn't be back until dark but i guarantee you this we were back at dark oh yeah i oh, mean yeah you know, and if our mom had to step outside the door and yell our name oh shit you weren't going out tomorrow shit tell you you know you may have may get a belt of that ass oh, yeah, too. yeah you're definitely getting that that's right so jody later says that the one part his mother missed And the one aspect she didn't realize at the time either is that the sick monster, as she described, usually is not the dirty old man in the park molesting children, but it is a trusted friend of the family, someone in a position of trust, or even worse, a family member themselves. Okay. Jody says that he grew up afraid of three things. Rats, snakes, and kidnappers. Now, I'm deathly 
afraid of snakes. Mm-hmm. Me, not much else I'm afraid of physical wise. I mean, you know, obviously animals and things. I'm not. I'm not too much scared. People. I'm not too much scared of. But you know, with everything that their mother mm-hmm. kind of talked to them about, which good on her, right? You know, making them aware, teaching them the three things that he is afraid of rats snakes and kidnappers Mm -hmm. Hmm. that's because his mother was also frightened of those three things she instilled her fears into him in the fall of 1982 the schools distributed flyers advertising karate classes that would take place after school jody didn't think anything of it and threw the paper away mikey kept his and gave it to june a friend of theirs mark boss also gave the flyer to his mother june and miss eileen who is mark's mother were best friends and began to discuss the karate classes they thought the classes might be something that mikey would be interested in and it would help him with his coordination so june and miss eileen took the liberty of signing mikey bubba mark and Jody up for karate. The lessons were given at the local elementary school down the road from where these kids lived. After two or three sessions, the karate teacher never showed up again. Whoa, what? They were told Rick, which was the instructor, took the money and just split, just left. Asshole. What a fucking dickhead. I mean, really? A couple of months after Rick (laughs) robbed everyone, the kids pretty much forgot all about karate. Then, around November of 1982, they received a call from Jeff Doucette. He said the names of the students had been turned over to him by the organization who had arranged for the makeup karate sessions, and he was going to finish up for what they had all paid for. In December, their first lesson started under Jeff. Mm -hmm. They took a couple of classes, and Jeff told June and Miss Eileen that they had some fine kids with enormous potential. He told them he had a group of kids who fought in tournaments all over the South, in Houston and Dallas, Mm -hmm. Florida, and at a local tournament in New Orleans that weekend. Now, he said the fighting team always went to movies and maybe out for pizza. He asked June and Miss Eileen if the kids could go to the movies with them this weekend, and June said she had to think about it. Mm-hmm. Now, the tournaments. So, I don't. I think I may have told you. You may know this about me, but um, my brother and I, my younger brother and I, we took karate for roughly nine years, and we fought in tournaments in Louisiana, and Texas, and in Florida. So we fought in these tournaments and things and that was in the 80s mm-hmm. now it was after all of this we were after you know but we probably fought in some of the same tournaments that these kids fought in and so that was very interesting to know to find out that they're probably in the aau fighting in these tournaments and things but yeah we went to you know we went to texas we went to florida fighting in all these tournaments and stuff so it was That was pretty, you know, something that we could relate or I could relate to anyway. June was always cautious. She called uh, Ploche disaster captain Uncle Robert. (laughs) 
and had him check on Jeff's police record. The record, according to Uncle Robert, came back with nothing to cause concern, only a few minor traffic tickets and things. So she felt it was safe and agreed to let them go. They went to see the movie. They called me Bruce. <laughs> I watched this movie. Oh, my God. It was a, it was a pretty good movie. Uh, it was a karate movie that somewhat poked fun at Bruce Lee, which I don't know that I would ever do. Right. <laughs> um, after the movie, they went to Chuck E. Cheese's, where, oddly enough, their parents, June and Gary, were attending a party for one of the younger ch- uh, children in the family. So that was pretty cool. I mean, you know, he took them out to a movie. They saw, you know, something that pertains to karate and then took them to Chuck E. Cheese's, which has some really good pizza. They do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it keeps, they got the games and stuff, you know. The animatronics are a little creepy. Yeah. yeah. The parents got to see the way that Jeff interacted with the children. And all being said, he appeared to be great. This went a long way in building trust with the parents of all the kids that he was teaching. Mm -hmm. Jeff Doucette, let's talk about him. I'm I'm starting to get like, uh, this is probably not going to be good. (laughs) Jeff Doucette was born February the 3rd of 1959. He was the son of Hayward and Aliyah Doucette. Jeff had three older brothers, Sam, Roland, and Mike. And he had one older sister, Nelda, and a younger sister, Carlene. Jeff's father died when Jeff was in his teens. Jeff's brother, Sam, was very hostile and enjoyed the occasional barroom brawl. Oh. Sam spent a few years in Angola, which, oh. if nobody knows about Angola, is the maximum security prison in Louisiana. Roland was the brother who is said to be the closest to Jeff. He spent time in Vietnam and later got into the carpet business when he got back to the States. He seemed to be the most educated of all the Doucettes. At this time, in 1982, all three brothers lived in Gonzales, Louisiana. Nelda, Aliyah, and Carlene all lived in Port Arthur, Texas at this time. Okay. So, soon after the karate classes resumed... Jeff moved the school to another building, and the building actually was a little bit closer to where the kids, all the the group of kids right there lived. Mm -hmm. So by being closer to the house, he got to be able to spend a little bit more time with the kids. He would come to their house while their parents are there, Mm -hmm. and he would spend a lot of time with them and things. Um, He would make the karate classes run longer and tell Miss June that he would bring them home when the classes were done so she wouldn't have to get out later you know when he would bring them home he would spend time talking with the parents and stuff again he's he's building a lot of trust he's, he's uh-huh. spending a lot of time with the parents and things and so making them feel comfortable and stuff every now and then when they were on their way home he had a really small car mm-hmm. um, it was a 280ZX oh okay yeah those are really small yeah and the, so the seats passenger and the driver's seat are pretty close together yeah well every now and then jeff would rest his hand on jody's lap and occasionally kind of moving it around oh. 
he would barely graze his hand over Jody's private area uh-uh. sometimes. Jody thought it's not that big of a deal. He just has to put his hand somewhere. And it's not like he was like playing with me or anything. It's kind of Jody's words mm-hmm. and stuff. So kind of blew it off. In March of 1983, Jeff invited the team to go to Houston with him to watch a karate tournament. He said that the fighting team would spend the weekend in Houston, and then they would go to Astral World oh. before coming home. Okay. Which I never went to Astral World. I bet it was pretty fun. I guess I don't know. By this time, uh, Jody's parents trusted Jeff enough to basically let him go. Right. Uh, They even talked with parents of the other students about whether it was safe for them to let the kids go with Jeff. And those other parents said he was a great guy. So, you know, no red flags here. So Jody didn't go to the first karate tournament. He didn't go to the very first one that they went to. So they had already gone, you know. Um, He had an all-star basketball tournament in New Orleans that weekend. There was no way... Jody says that he was missing a basketball, baseball, or football game for some stupid karate, as he says it. Those three sports were his favorites, obviously. He's not going to let karate get in. That was just like a pastime. Yeah, that was just like, "Eh, they're doing that over there, you know? So Mikey and Bubba had a wonderful time on that trip to Houston. Uh, When they got back, Jody heard everything about it talking about you know you should have been there and you know they said it to him like a thousand times he says they came back with great stories and things and they were you know talking about some story about monty one of the kids who uh, tried to dip some skull and he got very sick and stuff you know you know kids stories and things so um they're telling all these stories and it's kind of like it sounds like it might be pretty fun yeah you know So around this time, Jeff, he started spending more and more time with the family. He came over on the weekends and stuff and would usually end up spending the night. Every weekend back then, uh, Jody's aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff would come over and they would sit there and they'd talk and they'd watch movies and things like that. You You know, I remember this. We did this too. We would have family, you know, my mom's sisters or... Uh, my stepdad's siblings or something they would come over and spend time on the weekends and it would eventually end up being a poker game or something like that you know but uh but anyway i remember this i mean you know the adults would play board games Uh, he says that they would usually play uh, password Mm -hmm. do you remember password Mm -hmm. okay i think it it actually turned into trivial pursuit is that in that right that's what jody says Maybe. Maybe. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know. I thought Trivial Pursuit was its own game, but. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Jeff would join sometimes in those games. He would play with the kids. He would talk with the families. Jeff was pretty much becoming like part of the family. In April of 1983, the karate fighting team headed back to Houston along with Gary, Mikey, Bubba, and Jody. This mm-hmm. time, Jody went this time. This time, however, Jody was ready to fight. 
They arrived Friday night and checked into the hotel preparing for the tournament uh, that was to take place that Saturday. Jody took second place in his division, which pretty much left him disappointed. He wanted to leave that tournament and go enjoy being out on the town in Houston. Everybody else wanted to stay and watch the Black Belts fight, which was normal. Mm-hmm. So if you're a lower color belt, you know, white, yellow, green, you know, things like that, you always stay and you watch the Black Belts fight because, I mean, you learn and, and stuff, but it's really exciting to watch mm-hmm. them them go at it. So he was not interested still in the karate aspect uh-huh. of it. He went into that tournament just wanting to fight, but he just wasn't really that interested. He wanted to go out. He wanted to go and see if the Astros were playing and stuff. And Jeff saw this, so he was like, you know, Jody was like, let's go. Let's just go. Later on, he says, that was a mistake. That's what I'm sitting here thinking. Jeff had been under the impression that Jody loved karate. And he he guesses that Jeff may have gotten a little bit offended. Yeah. Okay. Whatever it was, Jeff started bitching at Jody. Quote, if I would have known you'd rather do something else instead of karate, I would have left you at home. Oh, okay. He went on and on about it and stuff, and, and he kept trying to put this guilt trip on Jody, and he said, quote, you are good. You're one of the one of my best fighters. None of my students have ever gotten second place in their first tournament. So Jody didn't know why he was so mad. I mean, obviously, there's something behind all this. And Jody certainly didn't mean to make him mad Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so he was kind of beginning to feel guilty that he was going to ruin the trip for Jeff. You know, he kind of like, "Ah, okay, you know. So that night they decided to go to the Galleria in Houston, which is a huge mall. And it's it's got some of the most expensive stores in it, mm-hmm. you know, which don't know if any of them can really, I mean, yeah, it's fun to go and walk through and see all the fancy stores like, you know, Gucci and Dolce, you know, what, what is it, Dolce, Gabbana, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. It's fun to go and look at those things, but fuck, I mean, you can't afford anything in there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Especially back in the 80s. I mean, shit. See, I wouldn't have had fun doing that because I can't buy it, so... I get it. Yeah. You know. So they also have an ice skating rink in there, in that mall. Mm-hmm. Um, Jody says it was fun. Bubba would, they would be ice skating in the in the ice skating rink. And he said Bubba would check him against the wall mm-hmm. and stuff like hockey players do. He said that they would get going really fast and then slide on their stomachs across the ice, which, ugh. I, that I mean, sounds like that could hurt. Obviously, they're wearing clothes. Yeah. You would not want to do this without a shirt on because the the, the ice is cut by the skates right. and stuff. And so there's there's gouges in it and shit. I don't know if I want to do that. Ugh. As a kid, you probably would have. But now as an adult thinking about it, you're like, yeah, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> now, you know what the Zamboni is, right? Mm-mm. The Zamboni is the machine that comes out and it it goes back and forth across the ice and it actually smooths it back out uh-huh. and stuff. So it kind of wets it and then it freezes it back over so there's no gouges. 
gotcha. in the ice and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they said they did that right after the Zamboni, and it actually made it a lot better, which I'm assuming. Well, well yeah, because right. you really were sliding with no... Uh, <laughs> no obstructions. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, he said they went home soaking wet. Because, I mean, it's ice, you know. Ugh, I hate wearing wet, like when your clothes get wet. Oh, I hate that. I hate that feeling. Yeah. But after the Zamboni and it smoothed out and stuff, you know that shit was fun. Sliding right. across that ice. Until they left and they're soaking wet clothes and it was cold. <laughs> right. So when they slept on road on the road trips, they all crammed into one or two rooms. Mm-hmm. About eight of them would go on this trip, including uh, Gary, Jody, uh, Baba, another kid and stuff. Uh, and then Jeff would sleep in one bed and Mikey, Gary, and a couple of the other kids slept in either the next bed or the in the adjoining room. Right. So the next day, as promised, they all went to Astro World. It was cold and dreary. <sighs> they rode Thunder River and got soaked from the water, which that's kind of like that one at Six Flags, the rap, Rapid river or whatever mm-hmm. river rapids yeah that's you get a fun wet. one yeah oh, you it's get fun soaked. but you get soaked okay so he's jody says that they froze their asses off all day mm-hmm. um not to mention he had white shorts on that you could pretty <gasps> much see through oh no and a grown man jeff was making comments about my frozen ass Nasty. is what he says now he thought uh, I mean, he's just kidding. He's just playing around, you know, and stuff. So, again, he's kind of putting it off and saying, eh, it's not that big a deal. Right. He says, I'll just, I'll just forget about it, you know. At this point, Jody is thinking, I just don't want to get anybody in trouble. I don't want to tell somebody to get everybody kind of up in arms about it and stuff. Yeah. Because nothing's really kind of gone on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just picking they're just he's he thinks about it he's just picking you mm-hmm. know the next weekend they were to basically get together as a team parents and everything and they were going to have a crawfish boil yum we're going to have one here soon we need to oh my god uh this was going to be going on at the highland road community park which was about a mile away from their house they would boil only the crawfish they were able to catch that meant that they needed to go catch some crawfish jeff knew the best spot to -hmm. go and do this which was conway bayou under airline highway which was near sorrento to these kids that are in this karate class and stuff 10 11 12 year olds and things setting crawfish traps on the bayou was pretty much the thing to do back then it was the probably one of the funnest things to do mm-hmm. is to go crawfishing i mean hell me and my brother used to do it all the time in ditches and shit mm-hmm. you know we'd find rice fields and stuff and go out there and set little crawfish traps and stuff and yet of course we were crawfishing illegally because you're supposed to have a license <laughs> but uh, you know anyway so this was the entire fighting team all basically seven or eight of them and they were in the area of Sorrento, so they had to stay in a hotel that mm-hmm. Friday night. 
But my thing is, for that many feeding the kids and the parents and stuff, they're going to have to catch a lot of crawfish. Yeah. That, well, down there you can, especially uh-huh. if you're on the bayou. I got gotcha. And depending on the size of those traps, I mean, if you got the cage traps and you got it baited just right, you can catch a lot of crawfish mm-hmm. fast. So the crawfish bowl was said to go great. Uh, there were lots of people there. Sometime during the crawfish bowl, Jeff volunteered to make a store run and asked if uh, Jody could go with him. Mm. So they get on this trip. They're going to the store, and Jeff kind of approaches Jody, and he says, hey, you didn't tell your parents about anything, did you? And Jody says, I don't know what you're talking about. So is he referring to the wet ass comments or frozen ass? or? So the night that they were in Houston, I got to jump back. Okay. Because now I'm going to start filling in some gaps. Okay, so the night that they were in Houston and they went back to the hotel and they were going to sleep and stuff, Jody had a very tough time falling asleep that night because Jeff kept moving around and couldn't keep his hands to himself. He kept rubbing Jody Uh -uh. every now and then, touching his private parts. And Jody pretty much had to convince himself that he didn't really mean anything by it and it was just an accident he wasn't gonna say anything or anything like that he would just pretend to be asleep Mm -hmm. is how he handled it but that night that they were crawfishing that friday night that they had to stay in sorrento jody states that jeff's rubbing had gotten more aggressive jody that night stayed up all night long pretending to be asleep Mm -hmm. and hoping that he would fall asleep and that Jody would fall asleep so Mm -hmm. this would stop but he didn't he rubbed Jody's skin raw Jody says it actually did hurt and that made him angry the thought that kept going through Jody's head over and over again was why the hell won't he go to sleep right now this kept going on from time to time, Jeff would come over and he would visit the family and things like he normally would. But he would sneak to the back whenever Jody was taking a bath. He wouldn't say much, but he would come into the bathroom and soap his hand up Ugh. and then masturbate Jody. Now, it's hard to believe, to me anyway, that he had that much freedom when he was visiting the kids at their houses and stuff with their parents there that he could just walk to the bathroom no one noticing and him being gone for that amount of time i'm kind of wondering what the parents were doing at the times that happened parcheesi yeah i'm just saying like maybe they were busy sure because i don't want to be like oh y'all should have known i mean game night yeah but but still you kind of think to yourself, he would have probably spent some time in there doing whatever, God knows what, yeah. horrible things, you know. But me and you, we would probably get a little suspicious. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, kids taking a bath and someone's gone for an extended amount of time. I mean, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, I don't want to put the blame on Jody's parents here. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, well, I was thinking maybe he waited till the parents were busy. Yeah. 
it's just this was the 80s yeah you know and so we kind of have to keep that in mind things are not like they used to be now i mean you and i would be like hey maybe hey you know right where are you at and it and, sounds like he had all the parents pretty much manipulated yeah really well that's right yeah so it was said that he was very charismatic you know charming and things and so can someone be that charming that's i don't know you know we're gonna get into that unfortunately in part two part two because this is where i'm ending part one. Oh, okay so i hate to do that i really do but i have to because this story is so long mm -hmm. that there's a lot more things that happen and a lot more details that jody gets into in his book and also uh, how this all comes to light at the end so i don't want to miss anything and i don't want to keep this going for two hours because that's what it'll end up being okay so this is the end of part one and i want everybody to kind of stay tuned because we had a, this is an edit this is an add-in edit we've already recorded the rest of this story and so it's just a matter of getting it edited and getting it uploaded so Everyone stay tuned for part two of the Jody Plochet story uh, because it's going to be coming out very soon. And justice will be served. On a very cold platter. Yes. So stay tuned, everybody. I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye. Bye.